Well, today I'm going to begin my sermon by giving you a bit of a history lesson. Back in the year 1880, so about 130 years ago, George Pullman founded the small town of Pullman, Illinois. And Pullman was the president of the railroad sleeping car company named after him. So they made the train cars that people, that had beds that people slept in, that you often see in movies, right? And so they made these. But George had a dream that this town that he founded would be a utopian workers' paradise. Okay? He found this town with this view, and the town was organized in a very specific manner. There were a lot of row houses laid out for all the workers and the craftsmen who were working for him. And then there were um, modest Victorian-style houses for the managers or the people higher up in the company. And then there was one hotel in the center of town, a posh hotel, luxurious. Pullman lived there himself. And he also invited any visiting guests or salesmen or suppliers that were coming through town to stay at this hotel. But everyone who actually lived in the town worked for Pullman in some way in his company. Their paychecks came from the Pullman Bank. Their rent was drawn automatically from their paychecks because all the houses were owned by Pullman. And But you know what? It's crazy. For a dozen years, over a dozen years, this town pretty much succeeded. It did very well for itself. And it, George's dream was realized. But then, in 1893, a nationwide economic depression hit. And all of a sudden, orders for railroad sleeping cars dropped through the floor. They just stopped asking to be made. They, because no one, things were being cut all over the nation. And George was forced to lay off a huge chunk of his company. And for the rest, he was forced to cut their paychecks significantly. Meanwhile, the rent in the town stayed the same. And so people were being asked to pay much more for housing while being paid much less themselves. So what do the workers do in a situation like that? Probably the same thing they would do today. They went on strike. Okay, so Pullman was all of a sudden a town full of picketers, and they started striking against the company, asking for higher pay, lower rent, rioting, pillaging, burning of railroad cars soon ensued. The escalating situation got the attention of the U.S. president at the time, Grover Cleveland. And Grover Cleveland pulled out all the stops to get this to stop. He ordered 12,000 soldiers to go to Pullman, Illinois. He declared the strike a national crime. Okay? He said that mail was being disrupted and these other people were pressuring him to get this to stop. So he declared it a federal crime. And so these soldiers came into town and put the strike to a forced end. There was actually two people who died in the conflict between the soldiers and the picketers. But the employees had to settle. They were forced to settle. However... After a debacle like this, as you could imagine, workers not only in Pullman, but across the nation, were not very happy with how this was resolved. They didn't feel their rights were held up, and so people all across the nation were, were writing against the government. And in an effort to please the workforce, Cleveland rushed a bill through Congress declaring, now this is where it affects us, he declared the first... Monday in September, every year, a national holiday. 
called Labor Day, meant to celebrate the various achievements of laborers over the years, the, the workers that kept the nation going. Now, the history of Labor Day in Canada is much less exciting. However, we can take pride in the fact that the Canadian government actually enacted a Labor Day a month before the U.S. ever did. So really, the U.S. probably got their idea from Canada and was falling in their footsteps. <laughs> but really, this was the event that put Labor Day on the map as a national holiday that many countries would soon adopt and follow around the world. But I told you the story about Labor Day, first of all, because it's Labor Day weekend. But I thought there's no better day of the year to talk about the way that we labor and the way that we work. One of the reasons that we listen to sermons every week and we come to God's Word is to find out how the Bible, how God's Word meets our everyday life, how it affects our lives. And really, for most of us, our everyday life largely consists of work, right? When you say that, we do it all the time. We devote huge sections of our time to working at our jobs, at home, at school. So I think that it's really important that we that, to consider what God has to say about our work, what God has to say about the way that we work. If you're a kid or a student, young adult here that doesn't have a job right now or doesn't have a full-time job, but you're in school, as we talk about your work today, think about your school. Because for all intents and purposes, that is your job for the foreseeable future. But consider how you do your schoolwork. How and whether you do your school in a God-honoring way. Okay? Today, we're going to look at what God says about work for all of us at any stage of life. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. This is in the middle of the New Testament, after the Corinthians and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Before we dive into this passage, I want to pray for us that God would guide us into his truth today. Lord, we come to you today to look into your word. We thank you again for what you've done for us. We pray that as we consider the way that we work, that we would really see what you want from us, what you desire from your people as in the workforce, as students, as workers in any job. We pray this, and we pray that, I pray that I would do this today, that I would seek to glorify you, even in my work. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, some of you might feel a bit uneasy talking about your work on Sunday at church. First of all, it's the weekend. Okay, and the long weekend at that. It's not what you want to be thinking about on the weekend. You don't want to think about work. But more importantly, some of you might feel like your work is a separate entity from your faith. That your faith affects many areas of life, but work just isn't one of them. Between the, You might feel like there's a divide in your life between the religious or the sacred on one side and the secular or the work that you do on the other side. You may think, I live out my faith at church and at small group, in devotions, even with my family, but it doesn't affect my work. However, this line of thinking, while it is popular for us, and many of us think this way, it's not a biblical way to think. Because God's word never 
distinguishes between the sacred and the secular in our life. Really, what God wants is for our whole life to be sacred to him. Our whole life to be wholly devoted to him. And in God's eyes, every area of life should be this way. So, when we think about the way we work, God cares about the way that we work. He cares about the way that we rest. He cares about the way that we play, what we do with our lives. He cares about every aspect. And really, our faith in Christ should impact us in every area of life, in some way. As Paul wrote the book of Colossians, he was very clear throughout the book that Jesus should affect everything. In the first half of the book, he theologically described the centrality and the supremacy of Christ above everything else we can imagine. Halfway through the book, he begins describing how this plays out in our lives, how Christ affects our everyday life, and how we can apply the truths of Jesus and of his gospel to our lives. It's like, you're saved through Christ, therefore, do this. Okay? Now, I don't know, if you don't know the story here, I don't know every one of you here today, but if you don't know the story of Jesus, it's the most important story you'll ever hear. It's the most important truth you'll ever hear. Because the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is a completely life-altering truth. It cannot be, it has to be either life-altering or nothing. It cannot be in between. Okay? But Jesus made a way that our sins against God could be forgiven. Even though we deserve death, even though we deserve God's wrath, he forgave us. He provided a way by dying on the cross for our sins that we could be saved. That's what we celebrated today around the Lord's table. We celebrated the gospel. Now he offers us salvation. He offers us love. He offers us if we'll just accept it. Turning from our sins, putting our trust in Him alone for salvation. If you don't know this, if you you have questions about this at all, this is the most important reason that we meet. This is the most important reason that we exist in the church. Please come talk to us. Come talk to me. I'd love to guide you through this. But if you've never done this, you need Jesus. You need His grace. You need to be forgiven from your sins. But this gospel should affect every area of our lives. That's what Paul's saying. And in chapter 3, there's a passage we looked at a few months ago. You'll recognize this. Starting at verse 12 in chapter 3, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Skip down to verse 17, and he says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he's saying, this is how the gospel affects your life, in all these different ways. And then after this, he starts honing in on specific groups of people. He talks to wives, and then he talks to husbands and children and fathers. And then we come to verse 22, which is where we'll start today. And what we're going to see in this passage, really the main point of all of this is this, that as Christians, we need to work as if we're serving God, not men. As believers in Christ, we must work like God is our boss, not men. As Christians, we need to work as we're serving God, not men. 
Read with me, starting in verse 22. It says this, Slaves. Stop there. (laughs) That one word probably put all kinds of questions in some of your minds. And for the rest of you, you can relate already, right? You feel, I feel like a slave. (laughs) What's his advice? Right? So let's continue. Slaves, this is what he says, Obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. So right off the bat, to answer a major question of yours, the Bible does not condone and it does not justify slavery. Either here or in the couple other passages that speak to slaves. The Bible spoke to people in all sorts of life situations. It was very practical advice for people. And at different times, Paul would speak to widows, or he'd speak to persecuted Christians, or he'd speak to false teachers, or various people in sinful habits. Just because Paul addressed someone and talked to them does not mean that he approved of their situation. It doesn't make their life situation right. Okay? Plus, it was estimated that in the Roman world, up to one-third of the entire population were slaves, including many people who were in the Christian church. And so, even if Paul was against slavery, there was no way on earth he could have ever hoped to abolish it. Okay? It was a given fact in this era that there were slaves. So instead of trying to do the impossible and free slaves, Paul was giving them advice. He told slaves how they should conduct themselves as Christians, but as slaves. He wanted to answer the question, how do you live as a Christian, but as a slave? Others of you here today may object and ask, but we aren't slaves today. So how does this advice to slaves apply to us? And sure, well, sometimes we may feel like we're slaves. We, we really are not. We're not actually slaves. But there are some basic principles here that I believe apply to everyone. See, slaves, whether treated well or poorly, were slaves in that they worked and worked and worked. And they worked for someone else, right? Most of us are in that boat. Large chunks of our life are devoted to work, and most of us work for someone else. And so the command that the Paul gives here to slaves really applies to everyone, especially in verse 23. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Let me say this. Paul was telling subjugated slaves with very few human rights at this time to do this. They didn't have time off at their jobs, not even for weekends, They didn't get paychecks, they didn't get vacation, or sick days, or health care benefits, or statutory holidays. They couldn't plan on retiring one day. They couldn't own or rent their own house. You think your job is bad? Try being a slave. And Paul was telling these people to do this. I think today, when we read this, we have no excuse He was telling these people who were subjugated to do this, we have no excuse in our jobs. 
to not follow this advice. And what is this? Really, it's more than advice, it's a command. And Paul gives a number of commands to slaves in these verses, but all of them revolve around the main idea in verse 23, that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. We as believers today, we need to work at our jobs, at our school, at our housework, at our chores, whatever the case, as if God was our boss, our employer, our supervisor, whatever. Have you ever thought about your job that way before? You ever thought of that? Acting as though you were hired and trained to do your job by God? Or acting as though God was the one signing your paychecks or is the one there at your performance review, the one grading your papers? Acting as though the business or the corporation or the government that you work for were run by God. If we did act this way, I think it would change countless way, things about the way that we work. It really would. This really runs completely counter to the way that we think most of the time. We need a total shift in our thinking. Because I don't know about you, but when I work, most of the time, I'm trying to impress other people. That might surprise you to hear a pastor say that. But we all have a tendency to do this. We all have this tendency to try to please other people, make them happy, make them like us, whether that's our boss, our co-workers, our customers. We do this. But really, we should be seeking to please God, not men. And we do this first, I think, by changing our thoughts, changing our attitudes, to act as though we're working for God, not men. To think that way. So you ask, how do we do this? How do we work as though God were our boss? Well, the other commands that Paul gives in this passage will answer this question for us. The first one we see in the first verse here, in verse 22, says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. What we learn here is this, that as Christians, we need to work as though we're serving God, not men, with sincere and reverent obedience. We need to serve God instead of men when we sincerely and reverently obey our earthly overseers. Read again, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That's the first command here. Slaves, obey. I think you all know what it means to obey. We're taught this from a very young age as kids. It means to follow the commands or guidance of someone else. It's that simple. That's obedience. Kids, obedience doesn't necessarily get easier as you get older. Your parents might not tell you this, but I'm sure some of your parents have a very hard time obeying those in authority over them. It's hard throughout our lifetimes. Obedience does not come naturally to us. We have to really train ourselves to obey. I can stand up here and tell you all day, obey those in charge of you, obey those in charge of you. And that's what Paul says, obey those in charge of you. But this can't be forced. You have to work at it. You have to train yourself and obedience, until obedience becomes second nature for you. Why do I say this? Well, do you know this little word there near the end of the verse? Obey them with sincerity of heart. 
with sincerity of heart. Sincerity can't be forced. It really can't. Sincere obedience is being willing and ready to obey whatever you're told. Willing and ready. So when you do obey, you're not faking it. You're not faking sincerity or doing it begrudgingly. You're happy to do what you're told. Paul says that we need to sincerely obey our earthly masters in everything. In everything. And you ask, really? In everything? I mean, they might ask me to do some really crazy stuff. What about when I have a horrible boss or he has ridiculous demands on me? I'll say, first of all, that in our culture today, if you have a terrible boss or a terrible working environment, you have much more freedom than these people did to look for another job. Okay, that's your right in our culture. But for these people as slaves, they didn't have a choice. They were stuck with whoever they had. Here's the key thing. That as long as they are your boss, as long as they are your boss, you need to obey them. You have more flexibility today with whom you allow to hold authority over you. But as long as they are your authority as Christians, you're told to obey them. Now obviously, if your supervisor tells you to do something sinful or morally wrong, the situation changes entirely. Because when you have to decide whether to obey God or to obey men, the choice is always you must obey God. But let's face it. Those situations are extremely rare and few and far between. It doesn't happen that often. It's a moot argument that people bring up. We're not only told to obey sincerely, we're also told to obey with reverence for the Lord. With reverence for the Lord. The word reverence can also be translated fear. To obey with the fear of the Lord. We talked about the fear of the Lord in the last couple weeks. How it's the reverence, awe, and the fear of God in light of His greatness, of who He is, His holiness. It shouldn't keep us from approaching Him, but it should keep us obeying Him. And really, that's how it relates to the topic of obeying our earthly masters. Because if we fear God like we should, we will obey Him. And he, here's one of His commands, to obey our earthly masters. If we have the fear of God, we'll obey If for no other reason we should obey because we fear God's discipline for disobeying Him. But one of the most practical ways we can obey our authorities sincerely is to work hard and obey even when they aren't looking. That's what we see here. In verse 22 in the ESV it says this, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Or not only when their eye is on you, or to win their favor. Sometimes, Angela and I, usually myself, I'll do it more often, will sneak into a room in the house and just watch the other person as they do whatever in the house. I don't know, it's kind of weird and creepy, but the priceless, the reaction is priceless when the person realizes that they're being watched, right? It's like, whoa, I didn't know there was another human being in the room with me. And then your mind races. Like, what was I doing for the last five minutes? <laughs> right? If this happens with your boss, 
it's really scary, right? Maybe you're, you got a desk job and you're working away at work and you don't realize your boss came over and is standing behind you watching you work. <laughs> That's scary, right? You hopefully weren't playing spider solitaire in this time. <laughs> but I'm sure you've all been a part of a time when people work harder when the boss is around or they work more diligently. People might loaf around or be lazy, but then when the boss shows up, it's a flurry of activity. <laughs> Lots of work. Or maybe in school, the teacher steps out of the room for a minute. Everyone goes crazy. But as soon as they step back in, it's like nothing ever happened. Right? But this is not the way God wants us to work as Christians. He wants us to obey whether or not the boss is watching. So how do you work in the times when no one's eye is on you? When no one's watching you? How you answer this question, I think, will tell you whether you're obeying sincerely and with reverence for God. That'll answer that question. We see a second way, though, here that we need to work like we're working for God, and it comes out of the next verse, which we've already read. What we learn in verse 23 is that we need to work as if we're serving God, not men, with passionate diligence. We need to work at our various jobs with all our hearts, with passion and diligence. In other words, one way we work as if we're serving God is by passionately being diligent. Verse 23 again, we've already read it many times. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. With all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. To work at something with all your heart means to do it with everything you are. That's what it meant with the heart. The Greek phrase, with all your heart, literally meant out of the soul. Do this with everything that is you. We're to do our work with, maybe you might say, with personal interest. Or with all our energy. Diligently. So if you work for the government, pour yourself into serving your country. Pour yourself into it. Diligently. Passionately. If you work for the healthcare industry, pour yourself into making healthy people. If you work in education, pour your emotions, your energy into making, educating people, to making them smarter. <laughs> if you work in a business, pour yourself into making that business successful. If you're in school, pour yourself into your studies. This is working with all of your heart. If you work in construction, security, engineering, banking, technology, whatever the case, you can do all these jobs with all of your heart. With everything you are. I know you can. And you know better than I do what that would look like to do so. But as Christians, we need to have a good work ethic. Now, I should clarify. Sometimes we can swing the pendulum too far the other way to the point where our job becomes an idol or an obsession, and it's actually harmful. We need to watch out for that, okay? But that's really a topic for another day, okay? This passage is addressing those and telling people to work hard. Work with all your energy, with all your emotions. Work with all your heart as you're working for God. You might object and say that, well, my job's boring. <laughs> my job's mundane. I can't do it with all my heart. I can't pour myself into it. But this passage is not telling you to necessarily enjoy it. 
You say that there, it's not there. It doesn't tell you to enjoy your work. This is just saying, diligently pour yourself into it. No matter what it is. Whatever you do. Don't do it half-heartedly. Don't do it lazily or apathetically. I believe that even when our work is mundane, we can still do it with our whole hearts. I believe this is because of what Paul says next about who we're actually working for. And you say, but we already talked about this. We already talked about that God is, we should work as though God is our boss. But, and we should work for our earthly bosses in this way. Yes, but this will tell us they're not actually your boss. Okay? Earthly, yes, they are. But they're not actually your boss. The next point gives us motivation to do things, things with passion and diligence because we need to work as if we're serving God because we are serving God. This is like the simplest point ever, and yet it's profound. We need to work like we're working for God because ultimately we are working for Him. Read with me in verse 23 into verse 24. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And then this sentence, catch this. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And you say, wait a minute. I get the point that we're to work at our jobs as if God was our boss, or as if we're serving the Lord. But what do you mean I am serving the Lord? Paul means just that. That no matter what job you have, whatever you do, ultimately when you work, you're serving Jesus. Because Jesus, if you think about it, think about it, Jesus is the sovereign and universal king of everything and everyone. He is in control of the world. He is the ultimate authority. In Matthew 28, when Jesus is giving the Great Commission, he says that he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. So no matter whether you like it or not, or are aware of it or not, Jesus is in authority over you. Okay? And if we're serving the Lord in our work, this should completely change our attitudes about our work itself. Sometimes the work of Christian ministry is described as the Lord's work. Whether that means being a pastor or a volunteer in a church or a missionary or whatever the case is, it's said that people like me do what's called the Lord's work. But that's a misnomer, because yes, I do work at the Lord's work, but so do you. Did you know that? So do you. You work at the Lord's work, whether you're aware of it or not. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That no matter what job we have, no matter how mundane, no matter how earthly it might be, ultimately, we are serving Christ. He's your ultimate authority. He's your master. And one day, he'll be the judge of the way that you worked at your job. So you work as a salesman or a customer service rep or even a fast food place worker or a nurse. They're all the Lord's work. Isn't that neat? And that's because you as a Christian are serving Christ in that role. 
I want you to think about what this would look like in your life. First of all, imagine God as your boss here on earth, okay? As if, or imagine your boss standing, watching you do your job over your shoulder. How would you work for your earthly boss in that situation? Okay? How would you work for them? I think that most of us would work to the absolute best of our ability. We would work as energetically as we could, as diligently, as resourcefully, as attentively, as passionately, as carefully, as punctually as we could. Now, imagine God standing over your shoulder watching you do your work. How should you work if God, the ultimate judge and king of everything, were watching you? In reality, that is exactly the case. I think there are countless ways that this would change the way that we work. For example, maybe you're in school. Someone who realizes that God is watching them do their school. They would never cheat on a school assignment. They would, they would care about how they do, about their grades. Someone who's at work, they would, who realizes that God is truly watching them, they wouldn't cut corners. They wouldn't do a careless or terrible job or be lazy on a job. They wouldn't steal money or time from their employers, whether by theft or by cyber loafing or by taking extended breaks. They wouldn't work less when their human boss isn't around because they know they have a heavenly boss watching them. Now, you're not alone if you struggle with some of these things. I know I do at times. But in the Holy Spirit's power, we must be more aware of God's presence in our lives. He's there all the time. He's watching us. It is the Lord Christ we are serving. Here's another thing, though. We shouldn't work for God out of fear of punishment alone. Okay, We should not work as though God is going to because of something we don't do, he's going to punish us. If you're, We need to work, instead, out of promise of reward. That's where Paul's going to go next. And if you're thinking, I don't get how working for God should be motivating for me, look no further than the last few verses of this passage. We'll see here that we should work at serving God because God is rewarding and a fair master. We need to work at our jobs as if working for the Lord because he will reward those who do. We need to work at serving God because he is rewarding and fair master. Read with me again in verse 23, and we'll go down to actually the first verse of chapter 4. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I think deep down, each and every one of us, no matter how much we might enjoy our jobs, we're all working for a paycheck. Right? No matter how much we enjoy our job. If someone came to you today and said, I'm offering you, uh, I don't know how much money, to live the rest of your life on vacation, 
or to go back to your work on Tuesday, I think all of us would choose the vacation, right? (laughs) We work mainly to get paid and to support our families, to, to to put food on the table, to support ourselves. And really, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with working to support us. It's respectable. Have you ever received a paycheck that was more than you expected? Doesn't that just make your week? It's like finding extra fries at the bottom of the McDonald's bag. It's an amazing feeling. And in these verses, God is basically saying, though, if you work with all your heart for me, I'll give you a better paycheck than you've ever received in your life. Here's your promised reward for working for me. It says, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. I want you to think about something. Here Paul is talking to slaves. Would slaves have normally received an inheritance from their masters? No way. They would be way down the list of heirs that a master would give his belongings to once he died. They would, they would never have received an inheritance unless there was really no one else. And so when Paul tells them that work as if you're working for the Lord and you will receive an inheritance from God himself, it was quite the promise for them. It was a revolutionary promise. And Paul says here that God will give rewards or punishment based on how people did. And you ask, is this talking about salvation by works? Right? This seems a bit like we're working to get this from God. But no, this is not talking about our salvation. This is talking about heavenly rewards. Okay, there's a difference. We believe that we are saved entirely and completely by God's grace through faith. We can't do anything to deserve it. But then he promises that the way we live will be rewarded in heaven. Okay, so it's not how we get to heaven. Heaven is not the reward, but there are rewards once we're there for the way that we live our lives. And this is the inheritance that he's promising here. We can also gather from here this, that God will dole out his punishments and rewards entirely fairly. It says in verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. There's no favoritism with God. does not play favorites. It's like, listen, if uh, even when our bosses or our teachers or our supervisors show favoritism to us, God is absolutely and 100% fair and unbiased in his judgments. This verse and into verse 1 of chapter 4 also really serve as a warning to earthly masters. He's like, listen, if you do wrong to your slaves, you'll be repaid for that wrong. And you need to provide what is right and fair for them because you also have a higher master. It says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I don't know if any of you here are actually the boss of other people. I'm sure many of you at least have someone else underneath you that you supervise in some way. Do you treat them right and fair as as their overseer? Even if you're at the very top 
of your corporation or business or office or whatever, you still have a higher boss. You still have a higher master, and that's God himself. And this would tell you, be very careful how you treat those under you. Be very careful. Because I believe God will bring justice one day. And he doesn't show favoritism. If you're working under an oppressive or a pretty terrible boss, you can take heart in these words. That God sees all. He is fair. He is just. He'll bring justice one day. And he'll reward you for the work you do. As we just, we can bring this to a close today. And for all of us, I hope this is a reminder. I'm sure many of you have heard these words to you before from Paul. that tells us to whatever we do, work for the Lord, as working for the Lord, not for men. And so, take this as a reminder. Talking about work on a weekend isn't the most fun thing to do. But I hope that this reminds you of what it means to be a Christian in the workplace, or a Christian at school, or a Christian working at home. We aren't here to be people pleasers. But that's the way that many of us think most of the time. We work as if we're pleasing people. We are here to please God in the way that we work. So enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Go out, have some fun. But as you return to work or school on Tuesday, remember that you're going to work for the Lord. He's your ultimate boss. Work reverently, obediently, passionately, diligently, and one day, God's going to reward you with the best paycheck you'll ever receive. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would take every part of our lives from the things that we see as sacred in our lives and the things that we see as not so sacred. We pray that you would make them holy unto you. That you would redeem the way that we work. That we pray that you would really work through us. Help us be your witnesses. Help us be uh, really beacons of light in this dark world of what it means to follow you. Keep changing us, growing us, maturing us to be more into your likeness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.